Welcome to the show. I am your host, Todd Dallas-Lamb, and you're listening to On The Clock. On The Clock is a venture with the Strategos Podcast Network, where we feature an array of guests to dive into all things education. We hope you enjoy. Welcome back to the show. My name is Todd Dallas-Lamb, your host. Uh, my guest today is Jennifer Reed. She's the Director of Clinical Services for Dallas ISD. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Thank you for, for joining us. How are you doing this morning? Wonderful. Thank you for having me. Uh, you are our second Dallas ISD guest. I think one of our very first was your superintendent, uh, Superintendent Michael Hinojosa, um, and one of our, our best uh uh, one of our best guests, so you'll have to uh, try to outdo him today. We're going to have a really serious conversation today about your specialty, which is mental health. Uh, and I wanted to read a couple of things I took just from the news this week, Jennifer, and get your your thoughts on 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 the topic of suicide and mental health. Early in 2021, there was a more than 50% surge in emergency department visits for suspected suicide attempts amongst girls ages 12 to 17 years old, according to a separate CDC report this year, which is also cited by a joint statement. Suspected suicide attempts in boys also climbed, but by a much less dramatic 3 as of June 2021, more than 140,000 children have lost a caregiver to COVID-19, according to a study published in October of 2021 in pediatrics. These losses hit more communities of color particularly hard. These youths were up to 4.5 times more likely to lose a parent or a grandparent caregiver to COVID-19 than white children and teens, according to the data. This month in October in 2021, a joint statement released by the American Academy of Pediatrics, the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, and the Children's Hospital Association, groups that represent more than 70,000 doctors nationwide, highlighted a serious toll in that isolation, ongoing fear, and grief that have taken on to U.S. children and teens. The mental health of children and teens is at a crippling tipping point, says Lee Salvo Beers, uh, a doctor and president of the American Academy of Pediatrics and medical director for community health and advocacy for Children's National Hospital in Washington, D.C. He says child mental health issues were of great concern before the pandemic and COVID-19 has only exacerbated them. Jennifer, you are in uh, one of the largest districts in America. You're on the front lines of this issue. Does that all jive with what you're seeing and hearing? Yes and yes. Um, our uh, staff are reporting uh, increased, really increased acuity across the board um, for all areas, all levels for our kids. We're hearing that from teachers, administrators, um, kids, kids need support right now. It is, um, it's critical that we are providing these mental health supports and then also educating not only the public, but our parents, our, our teachers about mental health awareness and what things to look for to be able to get the kids connected to where they're going to get the most help. I had an aha moment when I read all of that this week. I have long uh, felt that there was clearly a lot of anxiety 
leading to mental issues with regards to, and then leading all the way up to suicide. And I guess in my own um, simple mind, I thought, well, that makes sense because you've got a lot of kids that are remote. You've got a lot of kids that are really struggling. I, I, I've talked to friends of my son who are struggling with remote learning and are very uh, anxious about it. And, and I can see where the, the numbers would tick up. I never put together the aspect of grief, that, that these kids are grieving without any of the services, or in some cases, their sole caregiver has passed away. Who do you turn to if you can't leave your own house uh, during the COVID uh, pandemic? And so, God, that makes all the sense in the world that we would be having this fallout from the pandemic. Yeah. And I mean, think of it in these terms, you know, our kids have gone through this time, um, isolated, removed from an additional support system, which is the school, which is teachers, um, which is their friends. Um, and they've gone through this not only in the isolation with their with their families, but um, with all of the anxiety and the uncertainty going on with it. Right. Um, you know, think of you know, when we were at the height of the pandemic, how um, if they had a family member who had to go to the hospital, that was the last time they saw that family member. They could not be um, by that person's side. They could not. Um, they 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 couldn't have uh, those ritualistic closure opportunities like funerals and gather family gatherings to be able to have that support. So not only that, now now let's put school on top of that. Let's put um, you know just kind of send, spending hours on social media on top of that. Um, really only communicating with your friends, uh, you know, or not knowing if it's safe to communicate with your friends outside or in your neighborhood. Um, these things just pile on, have piled on for our kids. And it is, again, it's just so imperative on you know, us as adults, as as educators, to be able to um, say, "Yeah, this is this is a need, and we're we're going to answer it." Um, particularly, um, the like you said, the grief um, it has really um, we we anticipated an increase in our referrals uh, here in our mental health services department in the district, um, but really compared last year to this year, and if you think of it, last year um, Dallas ISD, you know, we weren't at a hundred percent capacity where students were attending right. the major the vast majority of our students were virtual so i'm um, thinking of it in those terms as well compared to last year we had about 12 percent of our referrals that involved grief um this year um just in the fall really to date of about last month we were up to 18 percent. so that's a six percent increase and that we are only in those those numbers were from about mid-october um and those were the the, uh, the 12 percent was from all year last year so i mean we are we are up uh in in that area we're also seeing uh, like I said, increase in acuity in the cases, particularly around suicidal ideation and depression. Um, right now is an opportunity for kids to come forward and say, hey, I'm not feeling okay. There's been so much communication around kids saying it, it's okay to not be okay. Right. And so now they're stepping up to say it, um, but it's it's that much farther down the road, um, you yeah. know with regard to, to where their need is, yeah. You know, you mentioned getting closure. And, I, you know, in the last few years, I had a funeral for my father. And I 
I've been to, obviously, I'm 54 years old, I've been to a lot of funerals, and it renewed my belief and understanding of how important a funeral can be to get closure. And I was struck upon thinking about it when my, my son's, um, both my boy's uh, grandmother died of COVID last year. They didn't have that, that funeral to go to. And I don't think I, as a child, realized the value of a closure moment uh, until I was older and I could appreciate what it was doing for me. I think a, a closure moment happens to a child in a much more subtle, but every bit as much a meaningful way. Um, they just don't know it. And, and without having that ability to go say your goodbye and understand and, and move on. And then for kids who are, that was their sole caregiver, the what, what, what next question has to be overwhelming. You don't have closure and you're not really certain about the future. It all makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And add into that so you know, what we're seeing and what kind of what those those news reports you uh, referenced were saying is that really we're seeing this this increase um, in severity and, and need in those 12 to 17 year old range think about those how formative those years are for so many of our our young people um, if you're 15 years old and your grandparent or or a parent or whomever uh, you know a, an aunt or an uncle these people have been in your life for 15 years. It's not like, not to minimize that, uh, you know, a three-year-old um, wouldn't feel an impact somehow in that. But if when you're 15, you have a greater understanding and awareness of what's going on within your family system, within your community. And you know, again, to your point, not having that closure um, can, can really be impactful um, for our students. One thing that opened my eyes was the discrepancy between boys and girls who are committing suicide. Are you seeing those numbers, uh, those numbers matching up nationally with Dallas? Listen, right now, I don't have that data just off the top of my head. But what I can tell you just anecdotally and from what I read and uh, I suppose consume from the news like anyone else, um, you know, our girls need support. Um we there there's so much input there's so much um expectation on young girls to be a certain way to act a certain way um they get these images from social media they get them from uh you know cultural norms it, you know whatever it is they get them um from from uh, their their interactions with their peers and it's it's a really tough time. There is there is a, a wave of change coming to where a lot more um, body positivity, a lot more um, openness and acceptance of, of, you know, women and girls who look, you know, of any, you know, the, the spectrum of, of who we are and and who we we should be. And um, it's a matter of making sure that we're supporting that. The, the isolation did not help. Uh, social media, I mean, I think many of us have uh, read or, you know, heard about the, the the whole thing with Instagram and how those, that data is is showing that, you know, it's it's detrimental to, to youth and what, what they're seeing. Um, but th those are definitely things that it's not necessarily surprising, I think. Um, but it is something that we need to continue to to work toward uh, improving. So you're at Dallas ISD. Um, this is this is your issue. What does Dallas ISD currently do to identify kids who are at risk? Yeah. Dallas ISD is very uh, innovative in terms of having an entire department committed to the mental health of its students. 
So even prior to the pandemic, um, they invested in an expansion and merging two of our uh, very uh, unique and very longstanding resources to create our mental health services department. And then the pandemic hit. So it was really timely. So the district was already very acutely aware that mental health matters and it is um it is vital to the bottom line which is helping us get our kids graduated helping them uh become successful citizens so you know you can't you have to have that healthy baseline in mental health so what we have here in dallas isd in our mental health services department we have a staff of really over a hundred licensed mental health professionals who serve campuses. Um, We've been able to adjust our staffing to try and increase the impact that our staff have um, by reducing caseloads to try and mitigate their burnout because they are caring for some really high, high intensity stuff for our students. And so to really um, make sure that we are uh, addressing those needs, um, we have uh, two different parts of our program um, because we recognize that students have different needs in in the community. Um, We have our school-based services that primarily work um, on those short-term, more acute situations where um, it it might be focused primarily around school, let's just say maybe, for example, like test anxiety, behavior, things like that. Um, Short-term issues like, um, let's say that kid has a breakup, right? You know, we're going to focus on these short-term issues when they are more complex and more in-depth, require some more um, support. We've got our clinic services where they can go and get that more intensive therapy. Um, So a a young 15-year-old, uh, has some of the markers, right? They've, they've had a breakup. They're having trouble in school. They've got a counselor who checks in on them. And that's like the classic way that this is identified. Or somebody, one of their friends might say, you should check on on Lisa, right? right? Or, or a parent or a loved one in their family might say something. But there's a lot of times when no one sees it and no one uh no one's identified it, and the student themselves are not saying anything. Uh, I'm, I'm reminded of about two weeks ago in the Baltimore um, area, Baltimore County Public Schools. They have uh, a one-to-one system, so every kid gets a device. And they've found that on these devices, uh, some of the markers, some of the identifiers are being um, located on their Google yeah. searches, um, which suggests harm. It, it leads to a really difficult question, doesn't it? Should we be checking these things as a district to identify self-harm or harm to others if we're giving them this device and they're on that device looking for ways to hurt themselves or others? It it, it goes to safety and then it goes to privacy and it's really, it's going to be a difficult debate, isn't it, going forward? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It is a difficult debate and it it is a balancing act really to ensure that we're being mindful of the safety of our students, um, but also being hyper aware that um, ultimately there is privacy. Parents need to be able to consent to and understand what we are looking at on those devices. All of those things, um, it it kind of come together to to identify what the best way is. What we do here um, is to, we, we have a couple of different 
avenues. Of course, any student knows how to access our services. We have um, a QR code project that we had a while back where students can access our um, website and then be able to get resources to reach out to us, where it's just like, let's say they were in the bathroom and they're having a moment there's a sticker on the mirror to be able to, to scan that, you know, when they're having that those those uh, opportunities that they need to reach out. Um, counselors know, families and parents know. We also have um, a few apps that um, we're launching very soon that will be able to kind of take a pulse check for, for students. They, they can opt into using it and they're able to um, kind of... Uh, gauge where they are at any particular time, teachers can use that. And then we'll have a particular system that will let us know when a student um, is indicating, I guess I'll say low mood uh, in in so many instances that we automatically are able to kind of go back and check in on that student. Um, so even when they're not thinking they're letting us know, um, we're, we're able to monitor that right. and support um, in those and ask those questions, right? Yep. In my lifetime, I, I've been amazed at progress um, that I've seen that I couldn't have envisioned in uh, when I was in middle school. I couldn't have imagined, uh, you know, uh, if, if I had told my dad I want to go to a gay wedding in 1977, he would have looked at me like I had three heads. Now you're kind of upset if you don't get invited to one. Um, and I think I think mental health is is sort of on the same uh, parallel track. Uh, it, it, mental health for my father, I'll, I'll mention, I'll reference him again, was a couple of stiff bourbons. And, and, and it was really frowned upon to talk about getting therapy. And I think as in, in my own life, I've seen loved ones who have had anxiety and, and, and we've seen the results of getting, um, whether it's medication or whether it's therapy or maybe a, a blend of the mm -hmm. two and just how amazing that is. And I think we've really taken the stigma off of mental health, haven't we? Just maybe even in the last 10 yeah. years. Uh, no, Todd, you're absolutely right. And I think there's still a lot more work to do. I don't think we're we're over the hump, especially in our communities of color. It is still there's still a lot of um, apprehension. You know, we want to keep things in in our business. Right. Um, and so um, there is still um, that frontier to, to advance. Um, but, yeah, you're absolutely right in terms of there's there's a lot more awareness. People are more willing to get help. Um, we were just having a discussion the other day um, with some of our leadership team and we were discussing just kind of the increase in referrals and just kind of talking about, well, is it because we have this new system? What is it? And really what we came to our, our theory, I suppose, uh, is that really people are just more willing to seek out help. They're more willing, you know, parents, kids are more willing to advocate for themselves and say, I really need to talk to somebody. And they're not afraid to do that. And, and we're really uh, glad that that is happening. Um, I know that this is going to be an entire generation of young youngsters that are going to recognize uh, that mental health is important, that it is something that you can do something about and that it can help them to live a better life. You know, it's funny. I, I, I grew up with physical education, PE. Yeah. That's what we called it, right? And I think in many ways, um, this country pr promoted physical education as a way to actually help with mental uh, education, right? Like clear your mind, go get some exercise, which is all true. But I, I sort of sense that we're now entering uh, an, a, a new era in education that's going to focus on the mental side and, and really combine that with the physical side uh, because they sort of yeah, go together. Yeah, you can't don't they? have one without the other. I mean, we know that um, 
it, especially in the elementary grades, you know, we see a lot of increase in behaviors uh, sometimes, but that's when, you know, you take away recess, when you take away those opportunities for students to kind of let, let loose, engage with each other, explore, play, um, those, those things are outlets for students. That is one of the things uh, in terms of just kind of being physical and being able to, to engage with one another um, and, and being able to communicate in those ways. Those are one of the things that really, um, I'll say, kind of worries me uh, about this, this kind of generation of kiddos who are in school right now. Because right now, all of these externalizing behaviors that we're seeing, um, we're seeing kind of reports of increase of disrespect, increase of, you know, uh, angry outbursts, increase in, uh, of course, like the, the internalizing, the depression and anxiety, uh, in part, um, there's, it's, it's a way that kids are communicating with us. And we have to not misconstrue misbehavior with, uh, you know, a way that, that that's the only way that they're able to communicate right now. Um, and so really making sure that we're listening uh, and listening in the right way and saying, hey, it's not about um, necessarily punishing this kid. Yes, we want to hold kids accountable and make sure that they um, are they understand what kind of rules or whatnot uh, norms in in school or whatnot, but also get them the help that they need. You know, I remember um, it, during after nine eleven, we were all sort of deputized to be looking out uh, for for risks. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think I think this is a good time to deputize everybody to be looking out for kids who uh, may be showing some of those signs. We're we're all we're all mental health. Uh, you know, uh, therapists yeah. in some way. Uh, and so I, I love the, uh, the, the, the positive way we're ending this conversation, Jennifer Reed, uh, in that there, there is, um, you know, there is hope that the kids are, are more open to getting help. The parents are more open, hopefully, and, and continuing to do so. Um, Jennifer, you're a first generation uh, yeah, college I graduate, am, is that I correct? Am. And what did mom and dad do to, to get you uh, into college? How did Man, that happen? They just kept positive messages to say, yep. hey, like, keep yep. keep at it. School is your way to to do something and to, uh, you know, make a better life. And they were right. <laughs> Well, we talked to a lot of superintendents on this podcast. We talked to a lot of chief academic officers. Uh, this is uh, one of the heavier conversations we've had. But boy, I, I really I say this to everybody, but I say it especially to you, Jennifer Reed. Thank you so much for what you do. And thank you for being on the clock. And I'm now letting you off the clock. Have a great rest of your week. And uh, again, we really appreciate your, your Thanks, efforts. Ty, in Dallas. It was a pleasure. Thank you. If you want to learn more about the show, please visit www.strategosgroup.com. Please consider subscribing on your podcast streaming platform so you don't miss out on our next episode. And until next time, I'm Todd Dallas-Lamb, signing off.